0: Amen. Uh, this morning, I want to talk to you a little bit about being a gift giver. That's our series uh, at Sanctuary this month. But specifically, I want to talk to you about preparing His body, uh, and it's kind of an odd title. But uh, I uh, I remember when Princess Diana died. Uh, I, I don't. I didn't know her. I was young at the time. It was in the late '90s. But I remember. Uh, that moment, we, I was in my living room, and my mom and my uncle were sitting there, and it was dark, and I remember the news uh, uh, channel comes on and says, a princess has died. And I didn't even know there was a real princess in the world at that time. You know, I was young. But but it was impactful, and I want to think about what's the largest funeral you've ever been to? Again, kind of a weird question, but what's the largest funeral you've ever been to? You know, Princess Diana's funeral... Uh, on, on the 6th of September, 1997, the Princess of Wales, it was an extensive parade. It was, A news report said it was from Kensington Palace to Westminster Abbey in London. And during that procession, the Abbey bell rang every minute as 31 million people in Great Britain and 2 billion people worldwide watched that funeral. Maybe some of you watched it. And it was a one-hour ceremony. It was accompanied by the most famous uh, musicians and organ music in the world. And virtually every person of the world family was there. And following that service, they took her body and they took it into this ornate garden. And it was actually a lake, an island in the middle of a lake, a very ornate little island uh, near her parents' house. Uh, And I think about that and think about how large her funeral was. And a funeral says a lot about a person's life. But what was impactful in that is that how they treated her body says a lot about who they thought she was, right? How they treated her body, how they did the the great processional and the fanfare and the ornate uh, 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 flowers and all that stuff, right? How they treated her says she was a princess. And almost 2,000 years ago, All of heaven stopped and watched a funeral. The myriads of myriads of angels stopped. All the heavenly host, I think, stopped singing and gazed and watched the funeral of one man, the king of kings. But while all of heaven was in great procession for it, there were only a handful of men and women at his death. And how the world treats the body of Jesus Christ says who they think He is. Just like how they treated the body of Princess Diana says she's a princess. But how does the world, how do you and I treat the body of Jesus Christ? What does it say about what we think He is? As a young person, I was not very bold for Jesus. In fact, I was very, very shy. I was a shy person, very anxious, uh, socially fearful person. And I was one of those, I would say, a secret believer. Sure, I invited people to church every now and then. I didn't really talk to people about Jesus so much or talk about what he's done for me. But I would definitely say, hey, you need to come to church with me to a close friend or whatever. Uh, but I wasn't bold. I wasn't courageous. I wasn't outgoing for Christ. I didn't. I couldn't tell you my testimony if I wanted to. I didn't hardly sing out loud. I definitely never raised my hands in worship. Even though I went to a Pentecostal church, I never did any of that. I was very inward. I was very religious. Uh, but it wasn't until His death became real to me that I really took it in—that it was for my salvation. For before, Christianity was all about me not going to hell, and it was really for me, right? But when I realized that it was for my sin that he died, this great king of kings, and when it became real to me, then I fell in love with him. It sounds weird for a dude to say that about another dude, but I fell in love with Jesus. And because I fell in love with him, Later, later on, I definitely fell in love with His body, the church. How you treat His body says what you believe Him to be. I would discover a supernatural, a supernatural relationship with Christ. And because I realized what He had done, and because He was alive in me, and because I fell in love with Him, I stopped kind of caring over the years what you think about me in my worship what people think about me and how I talk or, or if I had a witness. I was made fun of. I worked on the university campus at a, a bookstore at a very secular college and I was made fun of for believing in creationism. I was made fun of for believing in abortion. These were like my co-workers, my peers were just like, hey, Heath, tell me something else and you know, tell me what else you believe and they would just poke at me every day just trying to get something that they could make fun of. But I don't care. Because when you realize that the King of Kings died for you, not for everybody else, but for you, you fall in love with Him and you start living your life a little different. How do you treat the body of Jesus Christ? You know, I think today, uh, maybe even here in the audience, there are some who are timid and you uh, are uncertain. You probably call yourself a Christian, but you're very timid in your relationship with Christ, you're very timid in your worship, Uh, probably because you have some unanswered questions. We're going to talk a little bit about unanswered questions today. Maybe you have unanswered questions. There are things I'm not sure about. Uh, I've got questions about doctrine. I've got questions about church. I've got questions about what it really involves to be a Christian. Uh, and, And maybe you haven't experienced that thing on the inside of you yet. And in fact, what is waiting is that Christ has yet to become real to you. Sure, you think you're a Christian and you call yourself a Christian, But because you're timid and you have unanswered questions, it's a reflection that Jesus has not become real to you on the inside. And maybe, I'm just going to be honest with you, maybe all you have is religion and you don't know it. Because I was one of those people. And there are some others who say you love Jesus, or at least you think you do. I'm just going to be honest with you today. I'm responsible for God. That when things are good, you're busy and Jesus is in the background. But you love him, at least you think you do, but he's in the background. And then when things get bad, you feel like you can pull him out of your pocket and use him whenever you want to. What that shows me and it shows him is that because you don't care about being a part of His body, the church, and because you don't care to worship Him always in spirit and in truth, and because you live your life for yourself first, it really means you don't think Jesus is who He says He is. Because how you treat the body of Christ says who you think He is. Just like at a funeral... For a princess, they treat her body a certain way. So we believe that Jesus Christ and his body represents he's the King of Kings. Look with me in John chapter 19, verse 38. John chapter 19, verse 38. I want to talk to you this, this morning about preparing his body and what fragrant faith looks like. Let me give you the setup here. It was on Passover that Jesus, the Messiah, God in the flesh, On that night, Good Friday morning at 9 a.m., they put him on the cross and led him to that place, and he was on the cross for six hours. And at 3 p.m., he died. For six hours, he hung there. He was betrayed. He was forsaken. He was falsely accused. He was condemned by men. He was beaten. He was scourged, which means his back was filleted. He was mocked. He was crowned with thorns. And he was nailed to a cross as a criminal. This is the great king of kings. This is how we treated him. And there on Calvary, he takes our sin, he takes our shame, he suffers and dies. This is where we are. This is the setting of our text. John 19, verse 38. If you're there, somebody say amen. Amen. All right, after these things, Joseph of Arimathea, being a disciple of Jesus, but a secret one for fear of the Jews. Everybody say fear. Oh, you can say it louder than that. Fear. Fear. All right, there we go. Asked Pilate that he might take away the body of Jesus, and Pilate granted permission. So he came and took away his body, and Nicodemus, who had first come to him by night, also came, bringing a mixture of myrrh and aloes and about a hundred pounds weight. Some translations say 75. And they took the body of Jesus and bound it in linen wrappings with the spices, as is the burial custom of the Jews. Now, In the place where he was crucified, there was a garden, and in the garden a new tomb, which no one had yet been laid. Therefore, because of Jewish day of preparation, since the tomb was nearby, they laid Jesus there. So here we have this religious scene. All right, follow with me. Go back in time, 2000, almost 2000 years ago. There's this group called the Sanhedrin, this great high council, made about 70 men of well connected families. They're religious, they're political, they're powerful. It's kind of like our Congress. It's corrupt, right? And, and, and then, I'm not preaching on politics, but, but that's what it was like. And they ruled the country religiously and politically. And these men were Pharisees and Sadducees, and they, they ran with Rome, and Rome really had its finger on it. And the Bible says, That it was illegal uh, in that day for the Jewish law said that a man's executed body could not remain overnight. So they needed to get it done quicker. So the Jewish elite said, hey, Rome, hurry up, break their legs and get rid of the bodies so we can observe the law of God. Now think about this. They tried to get rid of the word of God by obeying the word of God. They wanted to obey the word of God and say, get rid of those nasty, ugly bodies, those worthless things. Get rid of them. They, they, they're messing up our religion. They're messing up our tradition. They're messing up our church day tomorrow. Get rid of them so we can have a good day in the house of God tomorrow. And they were putting down off the cross the very word of God. Can you see the irony in that? Because when you are going for religion It's going to blind you to the relationship with Jesus Christ. They want to get rid of his body to obey the word. And some today maybe are saying to themselves in the church world today, I don't need church. I just got Jesus. Uh, That's that's. That's just the same way. It's saying uh, I I can get rid of his body so I can obey the Word of God. I've got a relationship with the Word of God. I don't need a relationship with his body. Just get his body out of the way. I don't need church. I don't need church attendance. I don't need fellowship with people like that. I can just get that stuff out of the way and focus on me and Jesus. And I'm fine with me and Jesus in my car and at home by myself. And I can be playing putt-putt golf and riding my golf cart and go-kart. And I'll be just fine, me and Jesus, watching HBO. That's American church today. And what we've done is this very same thing. We've traded religion and relationship. And Jesus is there on the cross, and they say, Get rid of that body so we can focus on our church day. Man-focused religion will only blind you from God-focused relationship. And it was because of this system of what we like to call at Sanctuary today churchianity, this religious system of going to church and having good church attendance or paying good tithes or just thinking you can be saved and not go to church. It's all these things, all these, all this, all that's tradition and religion. The Bible says in John 12 that during Jesus' ministry, there were many Jewish rulers, uh, rich people who believed in Christ but because of the Pharisees, this group of people we're talking about, they were not confessing him for fear they would be put out of the synagogue, for they love the approval of the glory of men rather than the glory of God. And what we find in this story is two men, Joseph and Nicodemus, they find themselves in that very same spot. They're on this high council, this Sanhedrin, They're part of the uppity up of their town. And they said, I think I like this guy. There's something about him, but I'm not going to say it publicly. And I'm not going to stop all this religious stuff I was doing because these guys are going to put me out. And therefore, they were going for the praise of man. And why? Because it was not real to them. He, his body, his life, his coming death was not yet real to them and there are many in this audience today, you live like Jesus never died. Can I be honest? Because I love you. we are many people in our community today that believe this story... And they see the churches around here and they know the religious. And you can talk about, just talk to the, somebody in our community. They know about church splits. and know about deacons and who does what and who smokes and who chews and who goes to the gambling place and what kind of pastor has problems and what kind of church has problems and all the family disputes. We can talk about all that. We know we're experts on religion. We're experts on religion. But do we have a relationship with Jesus Christ It wasn't real to Nicodemus. And let me give you the background on Nicodemus. So Nicodemus is there that day, and he's thinking back. He's thinking back to a moment at the very beginning of Jesus' ministry in John chapter 3, where he comes secretly by night. Here's this expert man of the law, this older gentleman. He goes and he finds this 30-year-old whippersnapper who's coming to Passover a couple years ago. And he secretly goes up and he says, I know you're a God-man. I know you're a teacher of the law. I see the miracles you do. There's something about you. I don't know what it is. And he comes by night, so nobody else knows He's he wants to have a relationship with Jesus. And Jesus says, what does he say to him? The only way you're going to see and enter the kingdom of God is if you're born again. He's like, I don't understand what that means, born again. He says, it's kind of like the whole, the wind thing. Man, you can't see how the wind comes and goes but you can see the effects of it you don't know where it's coming or going but you can see the trees swaying it's the same way it's a mystery of the holy spirit the holy spirit would come into your life and that's the only way you will see and enter into what i've been talking about he's blown away i don't know what to say with that doesn't fit into my religion but there's something curious about this man i know he nobody else is like him and he does miracles and the way he talks about it but you know what it's just churchy it's just religion But I'm still curious. He's got questions. He's got doubts. Maybe like some of you here today. I've got questions. I've got doubts. It's not just real just yet. I'm I'm still struggling through this. And I know there's more beyond just the church service. And I know there's more beyond than just singing some songs and, and the pastor preaching. There's something more. But I really haven't got a hold of it yet. But you're hungry for it. Fast forward in John 12, Nicodemus would hear his uh, cohorts, his, his friends, his other Sanhedrin people, and they're like, you know what, we got to arrest this dude. He's making all kinds of trouble for our little clique here we got. This thing we got going on, he's messing it up. And you know what Nicodemus does, like sometimes we do at the water cooler at work or with our friends in school, and that peer pressure is on, and you know what Nicodemus says? He says, you know... Maybe he's not such a bad guy. Maybe we should give him a chance. Maybe you should hear him out first. Doesn't everybody deserve a fair trial? And they're thinking, dude, what are you talking about? And they say, are you a foolish Galilean as well? Are you one of his? And he backs off. Well, shut my mouth. How do you stand up for faith? Is it for fear that you back down when someone asks you, what do you believe about Jesus? What's that relationship? What's up with this Jesus guy? Why do you live? Why do those church people live the way they do? Why do they do what they do? Do we hide our faith for fear? And that's Nicodemus. Then you go on to Joseph. Joseph, it says he was a secret disciple. He was a secret follower. He was a rich man. He was a wealthy man. He had a a, a place uh, in the Sanhedrin too. But he was a secret seeker. He was a seeker of truth, but he was secret. And now, what happens on that day? We're at the cross. And some people believe that Joseph and Nicodemus had begun to search this out in their hearts and they've come to this moment and they're, they they see that their council didn't even invite them to vote on Jesus because there's something curious about them and so they miss the vote and they don't condemn him and they show up at the cross and they're saying, oh my gosh, they're going to kill him. I'm pretty sure this is the one the prophets foretold. I'm pretty sure he is who he says he is. And as he passes by on that day, they hear him saying, Father, forgive them, that he utters not a threat, not a curse, not a word. All he can do is in compassion speak mercy over everyone he passes by. He's not like the religious people that they know and their buddies at the golf course. He's not like the rest of the world. He's not like this churchy stuff. There's something authentic and genuine and powerful and With this man, and they see him get to that cross, and they say, At The moment, well, here's my high priest friend over here, and he's sacrificing the lamb, but there's the real lamb of God being sacrificed over there. They see him fulfill every scripture ever foretold that he'd be led to, like a lamb to the slaughter, that there'd be no deceit in his mouth, that he would cry out, My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? That there would be no other person, it would be almost impossible. That someone would fulfill all the scriptures like he had done. And on that day, it became real. The Bible says in Mark 15 that Joseph then, having seen him how he died, says he gathered up the courage. And he went to the Roman governor and he asked for the body of Jesus where did that courage come from? Where's your courage going to come from? Where's your power going to come from out of your life? In that moment, I think why? That courage came from he believed. In that moment, he wouldn't have went to Pilate otherwise, but he believed it was real. It wasn't just some guy who died years ago and started a church somewhere. It wasn't just some religious fanatic who started a religion. That was a man of God who died for my sins, that God became flesh, and he nailed my sin up to the cross. So I'm going to go straight up to that governor's office, I'm going to ask him, can I have the body of Jesus Christ? Think about what must have happened from then. Let's look in the, the passage there. And they began to prepare. Night was approaching. So Nicodemus and Joseph, they quickly take Jesus' body down. Can you imagine the blood on their hands, on their, their coat? Can you just, what would you do? Would you put it in a trunk and just save that for years later? I mean, think about washing it off. Think about the, the, the grit and the grime. You, maybe they kept the nails. On, I don't know. But just think about how real it would have been that I believe this was the Messiah and we've killed him. And they take him down and they they begin to bind his wounds. Like uh, the Bible says that that Joseph uh, bought this linen wrapping, kind of like what we would think of a mummy. And they begin to wrap the body of Jesus. And Nicodemus, he takes his hundred pounds of uh, dried out spices and aloes and perfumes. And as they wrap it, they begin to wrap the perfume with it begin to wrap his body tightly and tightly and wrap it. Because they're hurrying, they know the law says by sundown, they've only got a couple of hours, and they're wrapping it. They begin to anoint it, and they put the, a face cloth on his face, and they wrap him, and they care for him, and they put him on a stretcher. And Joseph, with his uh, wealth, he purchases a nearby tomb, never been used before, and they quickly put Jesus in the ground to fulfill the Word of God. Can you imagine what, hap- what that must have felt like? And let me give you this little tidbit. Had they not used their position, had they not given their gifts to care for the body of Jesus Christ, those Roman soldiers would have taken his body down. They would have taken it outside the city. They would have thrown it on the trash heap into a mass grave. But because two men believed enough to stand up and make a sacrifice in faith, Jesus' body had a place to rest. The weight of those spices and what they did that day shows who they thought he was. As all of heaven looked on that day and all of heaven was quietly looking down, there were only two men at his funeral procession. The whole world was quiet. The whole world was going about their business. The religious people were doing their religious thing and Rome was doing their Roman thing. But there were two men carrying that body on that stretcher and they had anointed him with a 100 pounds of spices. That would have smelled like a Bath and Body Works, Right? Can you imagine a hundred pounds of spices? It was a gift worthy of a king. How they treated his body shows who they thought he was. He was a king. He was the king. And what is the results of this? Their ceremonially on that day, they had defiled themselves on Passover. They had touched a dead body. And the first thing that was a result of this is they were not able to eat the Passover lamb with their families. One author says this, but it didn't matter because they had found the Lamb of God. The next thing that resulted from this is although the body of Christ was bruised and bloody, I believe they made it beautiful in their offering. They took something broken and bloody and bruised. And because of their gift... They made it beautiful. Not only that, but they invited ridicule on themselves. Because they had stepped out of where they were supposed to be, they stepped out of religion and into a personal relationship with Jesus. They invited ridicule and shame. They lost their position. They lost their status. And one, person, one uh, commentators, some commentators believe that Nicodemus from that day on lost everything. He lost his position, his fame, his wealth that he was done for because he stepped out and cared for that man's body. And the last thing that they did that day was their worship made the witness of His resurrection possible. You see, had Jesus been thrown out in the trash heap, no one could say where His body went, what became of it. Would there be a witness to it? Would there be a witness to the resurrection? No, He's just buried in some mass grave out there somewhere nobody knows. His body just disappeared. But because they cared for His body with their gifts of worship, because they made a sacrifice, because they prepared His body, it allowed for the Holy Spirit to raise Him up On that Sunday, it allowed for a witness to the world that Jesus is alive and still saves. And my question to you is today, how do you prepare Jesus' body? How do you give gifts of yourself and your life to worship him as a king of kings, as a Lord of lords? How have you stepped out of religion and into relationship? And how has your life as a gift giver, as a worshiper been an example to other people that that guy is alive? He's alive. The question for every single person in here, even myself included, is do you really? Look at me. Do you really believe? Do you really believe? This was the last message I could talk to you. If God comes back tomorrow or tonight, listen to me. Do you really believe? Because in that day, in that time, people saw his miracles, his disciples heard his word, they were there the night he was betrayed, and yet every single one of them forsook him. So what do you have that they didn't? Did you walk with Jesus three years? Did you see the man multiplied? Did you see him ascend and descend on the uh, mount of transfiguration? That uh, Moses and Elijah were there talking with him. Have you seen all the miracles? Have you seen him walk on water? Have you seen him heal the blind and raise the dead? Have you seen all of those things? No. Do you believe? Because they saw all those things and still yet not believe. The question for you and I today is that Jesus says we will die in our sins unless we believe. And many today still live like He was just a man who died on a cross years ago and started a religion. Many people in this parish live and treat the body of Jesus like He was just another man who started a religion. But is He to you the King of kings in the Lord of lords? Is your life as if his funeral procession was going by... What would your life be like? Would you be one to wrap up his body, to bind his wounds, to anoint him with a hundred pounds of spices of all of your wealth, to risk your reputation, to come out from hiding in a world that wants to kill him and put his body away? Would you stand there and say, I am asking for the body of Jesus. I want to care for it because he is King of Kings. I'm going to give you three things you can take home today. Of how you should apply this message. And I believe what the Lord wants us to hear today. Who is Jesus to you? If you do not care for his body. You do not believe in who he is. Jesus died in the flesh so the church could rise in the spirit. And the church is his body. He traded a fleshly body and made us his body. And I'm not talking about religion. I'm not asking you to attend here every Sunday. Let, let Hear me. I'm not asking you to attend here every Sunday. Would, should, would I will, love you to? I'd love for you to attend every Sunday morning and find a small group. And I would love for you to give and, and invest your time, talent. I'm not asking you to give in the offering. I'm not asking you to attend here to make our church look bigger. But I'm w- asking you, do you care about Jesus' body? the church. Look around. Look to your neighbor. Look to your right and look to your left. In this room, these are the people Jesus died to save. This is the people He loves most of all. And how I treat Jesus' body says who I think He is. Because He died for her. You're His body three things I want to give you today is number one is if you believe number one you'll be born again Jesus said he'd be lifted up and draw all men to himself. And that's what happened on that day. Nicodemus and John saw him lifted up and they were drawn to him, something special. And like that moment happened with Nicodemus, probably came to his memory. This is the moment I now understand the Holy Spirit has come to my life. There's something supernatural. I've left the religion. I've entered into a relationship. And there's something evident. There's some evidence in my life now. And that Jesus said that there would be even signs that follow those who believe that. It's not just some religion. It's not signing a membership card. It's not coming to church on Easter. and Christmas. It's more than this. It's more than attendance. It's more than financial giving. It's more than a status quo. It's saying that I feel the Holy Spirit is now alive in me, and I can cry out and identify on the inside, Abba, Father, Father, that He is real. He's alive. It's personal. And there is an evidence like the wind blowing through your life. Can someone say there is something supernatural about that person? Not that they go to sanctuary and that they give, but there's something that is affecting their life. Something supernatural. And if that's the beginning for you in this room. You must be born again. Do you have the evidence of the Holy Spirit in your life? Number two is this. Beautiful gifts. Those who believe will worship Him there will be a gift giver. One author said this. He said, seeing Christ on the cross, it forced these fearful men to say, nothing is too good for him now. When you see what Jesus Christ has done, you could say, nothing is too good for him now. What are the gifts that you could give Jesus? You could give his body. We look around the room and Jesus says, you know what? Love one another as I have loved you. There are people in the body of Christ today who are hurting, who are bleeding, who are bruised. The world may look at this group of people and call us misfits and ignorant and fools and, and a bunch of hypocrites and everything else. You know what? We are. We're a bunch of crazy people. We're all messed up. We're all sinners. We're all broken. And what God has called us to is to take those linen wrappings with a sweet smell of an offering and begin to bind up the wounds for one another. To bear one another's burdens and fulfill the law of Christ. And my cry to you is that if you believe and if you have evidence of the Holy Spirit in your life, you will be invested in loving other people in this room. You won't come here to come to a church service for yourself and hear a good message and hear some good worship. You'll come here to bind the wounds of other people. You'll want to be invested in their life. Why? Because He's invested in their life. He's on the inside of you. If you come to church for yourself and to get a good service and to feel good about yourself that you can check off, I went to church on Easter. Lord, help you. I'm sorry, but I love you enough to tell you, if you are born again, you will love God's people. I should hear an amen for that. If you are born again, you will love one another. You'll desire to clothe and cover the church of God. You'll desire to bind her wounds. You'll wrap her with sweet fragrances while the world treats her like garbage and they want to throw her out. And religion comes in and says, you don't got to go to church that much. You don't got to go to a small group. You just got to know Jesus. I beg to differ. I, beg to, I want you to go to Jesus and tell him that when you meet him on that day and say, Jesus, I loved you, but I didn't really care about your body. He'll say, but I'm one and the same. Can you divorce a head from a body? No, they're one and the same. And how you treat the body of Jesus Christ says a lot about who you think He is. And if we can come and go to a church and and fill it out and get what we want out of it and go home, you don't believe He's King of Kings and you don't believe He died for you. Leave the self-focused religion and be filled with the Spirit to be a giver and believe if the king is dying for you. And the last thing that will produce in us is this. Before, i am ask the worship team to come. It'll make you a bold witness, it'll make you go before that Roman governor with courage. Why? Because following Jesus should cost you something. One author says this that at the sight of his cross, it makes the coward brave. And like Joseph and Nicodemus, I should be willing to leave my wealth, my fame, or reputation. I don't care what my family thinks of me. I don't care what the world thinks of me. I leave sin, I leave self, I leave society, and I say, all to Jesus. I surrender all to Him. I freely give because Jesus says, if you do not confess me before men, I will not confess you before my Father. And I want to be leading the funeral procession on that day and saying, I believe that King Jesus died for me. I will give my life to serve His body. I love His body, the church, because He died that I might live, that I might be a part of Him and identify with Him. And so the boldness comes out of you because the Holy Spirit spirit is alive in you you don't care what anybody else thinks because they don't believe in who he is but when you see that that Jesus the God of the universe came and died on a cross not for somebody else's sin but for my sin then I can boldly say to the world he is who he says he is how visible is your faith and like the religious of that day they lived to please men and self But true believers live to please God. They're bold enough to live to please God. How you treat His body says a lot about who you think He is. Holy Spirit, I ask you to fill this room in this place. Every head bowed, every eye closed. How visible is your faith? what is the evidence of your life? Do you believe? Are you born again? Are you a gift giver? Are you invested in preparing His body? How do you treat His body? And are you a bold witness?